So let us begin. Um, as Dyer has mentioned a few times, this morning we're beginning a new sermon series in the book of Acts. We're going to look at the first four chapters of Acts. And as elders, uh, or at least I am, I hope the other elders are, I think we're really excited, believing that God is going to use this season to do something important and significant in the life of this church. We're hoping over the next four weeks that as a church we're going to receive and know a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit upon us as Christians. We're believing that we're going to have a boldness, each of us, in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who need to hear it. We believe that we're going to grow into, more into becoming the church of faith and love and passion that we read about in the book of Acts. And we're also believing that God is going to add new believers into the mix. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see that new people are coming to believe in Jesus Christ. And that is what we are hoping for as we enter into this sermon series. So we've got this sermon series in Acts, and then we've got Easter Sunday, which is going to be a great Sunday to invite people to. And I'm going to hopefully proclaim the gospel, um, and people will respond and believe in Christ. And then we're going into the Alpha Course. We're hoping that God is going to move mightily. We're trusting him to do great things in our midst. So I'm going to pray for this time as we read from Acts chapter 1, but I'm also going to pray for those things, believing and trusting that God hears and answers prayer. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to read from your word. Thank you that when we read your word, you speak, for these are the words of the Holy Spirit breathed out to us. And so, Lord, I pray you would speak powerfully this morning to each of us, Lord. Speak to us the things that we need to hear for your glory and for your sake. But Lord, I pray it's not just a moment now where we feel like you're speaking to us. Lord, I pray that this is a sermon and this is a series of sermons that transforms us as Christians, Lord God. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. May we know his presence in our hearts. Lord, give us a boldness to share the good news of Jesus Christ because it's amazing news that we have as Christians. So give us a boldness to share that with others. Fill us with faith and love and passion for your name. And Lord, may you add new believers into the church, Lord. We know that people need to receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful to know you as Father and to enter into the community of Christians, Lord. So we're pleading with you to move mightily and bring new people into this community, Lord. Even this morning, even over this week, Lord God, would you save people for your glory and for your praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter, um, but I'm not going to preach on the whole chapter. So if you've got any questions about casting lots, I'm not going to speak about that. I can see Francis laughing at the back. But let's, let's read from Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptised with water... But you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Lord, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among his brothers. The company of persons in all was about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language Al-Keldamah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up for us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So as I mentioned, I'm going to pick out some highlights to focus on from that chapter. And the first thing that I, I want to share with you this morning is that I think this book is named poorly. So this book is called The Acts of the Apostles. That's what it probably says in your Bibles. But I don't know whether that's the right name for the book. I think perhaps this book should be called The Acts of Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 1. Luke, who writes the book of Acts, says this. In the first book, Ophelot, Oh, I can't say the name. Theophilus. Yeah, there we go. His name. In the first book, too many th sounds. Uh, in the first book, well, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke there. He's written the Gospel of Luke. In the first book, I told you all that Jesus Christ began to do. Now, that guy whose name I suddenly can't pronounce, even though when I practiced it was absolutely fine, his name means friend of God or beloved of God. So Luke could be writing to a specific person with that name. He's writing to an individual saying, I want to tell you all about Jesus and what he began to do. Or it could be a general name saying, Luke is saying, I'm speaking to you if you are a friend of God. 
Isn't that an exciting idea? That you can be a friend of God? That's part of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, that he lived and died and rose again, then you are called a friend of God. That's what this guy's name means. And even though I can't say it in Greek, I can say friend of God in English. So pray, <laughs> Theophilus, still can't say it. Never mind, it doesn't matter. God, may you be honoured even as I'm humiliated. Um, <laughs> It's an exciting idea, isn't it? That Christians are God's friends. But did you notice that Luke says, in that first book, in the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, what Luke is saying is, in the Gospel of Luke, I told you about Jesus' life. I told you about his amazing miracles. I told you about the time that he fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. I told you about the time he touched a leper's skin and the leprosy was removed. I told you about the time that he taught where he went to the Sermon on the Mount and preached a great message and taught us all how we ought to live. I've told you about Jesus' kindness and his compassion and his love and his power. I've told you about Jesus' death on the cross. I told you that he didn't die for his own sins, for he had no sins. He was righteous and good and perfect, but he died for the sins of the world. He took the sins of the world upon himself in order that all who trust in him would have their sins taken away, their sins forgiven so they can be blameless before God. I told you about the resurrection, that Jesus did not remain in the grave, but he rose again in power. I've told you this story in the Gospel of Luke, says Luke at the beginning of Acts. But let me tell you this, that was only the beginning. That's what he's saying in verse 1. I've told you of all that Jesus began to do. Now, what's the implication of that? The implication of that is that in the book of Acts, in fact, in the whole age of the church, Jesus continues to do great acts and great deeds. The Gospels are amazing. We love the story of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. We love to proclaim them and celebrate them. We love to see people come and believe in those things and give their life to Jesus. We love those stories. But we also believe that Jesus is doing a great act, a great deed in the book of Acts and even amongst us in Christ Church Fairham in 2023. All the events in the book of Acts ought to be understood in this way. Christ, Jesus Christ, acting in and through his followers. That's my first point then. The acts of Jesus Christ are recorded in this book. But the book could have another name as well. Perhaps the book ought, could have been called The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at verse 2. Still speaking about Jesus. And Luke says about Jesus, after Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now there's lots of things I could say about that phrase. I could say the gospel, the instructions, the commands of Christianity are not invented by the apostles. It's not Peter or Paul, or James, or John, who founds Christianity. They didn't make up stuff. No, they were passing on what they had received from Jesus. Jesus is the founder of Christianity. And they pass on what Christ himself had taught them. That's what that teaches. I could talk about the significance of the apostles. 
They were chosen by Christ himself. And Christ gave those apostles authority to build the church. Christ is the one who, who grows the church, who builds the kingdom, but he uses people and he chooses these apostles to be the very first witnesses of the resurrection. And he uses them, gives them authority. They, he, he gives them a significance. I could talk about that. But the thing that surprises me most about that phrase that I read to you is the bit I want to focus on. Jesus Christ spoke through the Holy Spirit. The commands that he gave to his apostles, he gave through the Holy Spirit. Now Luke is talking about Christ before he was taken up in the ascension, so while he was still on earth. And what Luke is saying is everything that Christ commanded, he commanded and spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit. So think about some of the significant passages that we've, we've read over the years. We've read the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. He says that, in the power of the Holy Spirit. When he teaches his followers to love one another as he has loved them, he says, I've loved you even to the point of death. Go and love one another as I have loved you. That instruction, that command was Jesus speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you read the Gospel of Luke, Luke emphasises the work of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Christ. In Luke 3, verse 22, when Jesus is baptised, Luke writes this, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. In Luke 4, verse 1, it says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. So the Holy Spirit was leading Jesus in his ministry on the earth. In Luke 4, verse 14, Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus preaches in the synagogue in Nazareth, he stands and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Do you see all these references to Christ, not just as the Son of God come to earth, not just as the Lord and Messiah, but also full of the power of the Holy Spirit, living as a human full of the Spirit as he conducted his ministry. In Luke 10, verse 21, Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. He has joy because of the power of the Holy Spirit in his heart. In Luke 5, verse 17, it doesn't actually mention the Holy Spirit, but it says the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And I think when it talks about the power of the Lord being with Jesus, Jesus, surely that's the power of the Holy Spirit with him to heal. In Matthew 12, verse 28, Jesus says this, If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Just a few examples of the way in which Jesus lived in the power of the Spirit when he was here on earth. Now, Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God the Father. But when he came to earth, we call it the incarnation, the infleshing of God. If you ever have a chili con carne, you're having chili with meat, with flesh. So the incarnation is the infleshing of God. This is what happens. Jesus comes to earth and he takes on human flesh. He becomes fully human. And so in his humanity, he lives by and speaks by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why am I emphasising this? Why is this important for the book of Acts? Well, the reason is this. If Jesus Christ himself lived and spoke 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, how crazy would it be if Jesus then said, I, I operated in the power of the Holy Spirit, but you guys, you go it alone. You do it in your own strength. That would just be crazy, wouldn't it, for him to say that? Uh, the, the Holy Spirit worked through me, but you apostles, you, you can do it by yourself. That is not what Jesus does. That is not at all what Jesus does. He says in verses 4 and 5, Wait for the promise of the Father. You will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. When we read the book of Acts, we're not reading about the Acts of the Apostles as, those, as though those Apostles were superheroes, as though they, in their own strength, were truly awesome. No. We're reading about the Acts of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit given to ordinary people. I want you to think about the most impressive Christian you have ever met or the most impressive Christian you have ever read about in a book. Perhaps you're thinking about missionaries you know who've gone to the far corners of the earth to proclaim the gospel, who've given everything up to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with others around the world. You think, wow, they're such amazing Christians. Maybe you're thinking about Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers. Um, He's supposed to be the greatest ever preacher in the English language. Um, And I love reading the the sermons of of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Or perhaps you're thinking about Elizabeth Elliot. I love the story of Elizabeth Elliot. She was married to a man called Jim. And Jim went, went into the Amazon rainforest, I think, to preach the gospel to a tribe. And they murdered him. They killed Jim Elliot. So what does Elizabeth Elliot do? Does she go, oh, okay, it's over, the mission's gone, and just run back and mourn and be by herself? No, Elizabeth Elliot carries on with the mission to the murderers of her husband. And many years later, the gospel is proclaimed and people begin to believe in this tribe, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that just amazing? Wow, Elizabeth Elliot's just awesome. What heroes? Or maybe you're thinking about Peter and Paul and you're thinking about those guys in the Gospels and you're thinking, wow, they're so great. They are awesome. What heroes? Well, I want to invite you to reorganise your thinking just a little bit. Spurgeon was a man that Jesus Christ used. Jesus did great things through him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus anointed Spurgeon, an ordinary guy who struggled massively with depression, to preach to thousands of people and proclaim the gospel. Elizabeth Elliot was a woman who Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, used. Even a grieving widow, God gave her boldness to go on proclaiming the gospel even to the murderers of her husband. Peter, just a fisherman, and a pretty dumb fisherman at that. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, used him to do his work. And next week we're going to read Acts chapter 2. It's a phenomenal sermon. I, that is the power of the Holy Spirit through Peter. That's not, that's not Peter the fisherman like going to his books and studying and studying and coming up. That's the, the fact that he walked with Jesus and the Holy Spirit empowers him to preach an amazing, amazing sermon. Do you know the reason the book of Acts is inspirational is not because the apostles are superheroes. In fact, lots of the people who do things in Acts aren't apostles at all. 
The reason the book of Acts is inspirational is because it's ordinary people doing great things because Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is doing great things in and through their lives. I want to challenge some of you this morning because I believe that for some of us, our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of the power of God is too small. Maybe you define the gospel like this. Jesus died on the cross and took my sin away in order that I might be forgiven. But now I'm blameless before God, which is fantastic. Good news, great news. But now I'm left. I'm, I'm, at, I'm, a, I'm blank slate and now I do everything in my own strength. If that's your gospel, your gospel is too small. You haven't understood what the Bible teaches because the Bible is far bigger than that. What the Bible teaches is that Christ lived and Christ died for you in order that you might be forgiven, that he rose again in order that you might have new life and that he breathed out the Holy Spirit upon his believers so that Christ can use you for his glory. The gospel includes purpose given by Christ and he has purpose for you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning. And that's what the book of Acts is really about. Christ using ordinary people through the power of the Holy Spirit to do extraordinary things for God's glory. Just think for a moment, what will be the Acts of Christ Church Pharaoh? Or rather, what will be the Acts of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in and through this church. That is a great thought and an exciting thought and what this sermon series is all about. And for that reason, I'm going to focus for the rest of my time on verse 8. Because verse 8 helps us understand the whole book of Acts, contains a promise, it contains a purpose, and it gives us much which is going to provoke us and move us forward as a church. In verse 8, Jesus gives the apostles and gives Christian believers a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. We praise the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit as a person. He is the regenerator. He is the one who gives new spiritual life to every Christian believer. He is the uniter. He is the one who unites us to Jesus and to what he's done for us. He, the Holy Spirit is the applier. He takes all that Jesus did upon the cross and in his resurrection and he applies it to individual personal Christians so that Christ's death is not just a historic event, it's a genuine transforming reality for you. He applies what Christ did for you upon the cross to you personally in your heart so you know forgiveness in your heart. And he takes Christ's resurrection and applies it to you as a personal Christian so that you have new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. He also applies the truth of the Bible when we read the word of God. I hope you're not trusting in me to, to, to deliver truth so effectively that it changes you because I can't do that. I will never do that. But the Holy Spirit is the one who takes God's word. He works with the word in order to transform us and make us more like Jesus day by day. The Holy Spirit is the comforter he soothes us through affliction and trial and difficulty. The Holy Spirit is the helper. He helps us live like Jesus Christ day by day. But here, in Acts 1 verse 8, he is the giver 
of power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Next week, we're going to read Acts 2 and see how the Holy Spirit comes and anoints the Christians with power. He gives them power to speak in different languages. The apostles are all praising together and they think they're speaking their own language, but actually they're speaking foreign languages that they've never learnt. And other people are going, how is it that we can understand what they're saying? This is the power of the Holy Spirit. As they praise Jesus, people from foreign nations are able to understand what they're saying. The Holy Spirit gives a power and boldness to preach before thousands. They go from hiding away in the upper room to standing before a great crowd and Peter preaches and 3,000 people are added to the church in one day because the Holy Spirit granted boldness to Peter to preach. Elsewhere, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, people are given the power to prophesy, to hear from God and to speak words of truth to others. They receive the power to heal. They pray for healing and see people healed in the book of Acts. The power of the Holy Spirit working through Christians. They receive power to go on sharing Jesus, even under severe persecution. Even when they get imprisoned, even when they get locked up, even when they suffer physical punishment because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within them. They do not give up. They do not shrink back. They do not take a step backwards. They keep going. Even though they know that they're going to face more persecution, they will not stop because of the power of the Holy Spirit giving them that boldness to keep going over and over and over again. In other words... Jesus' promise in verse 8 is fulfilled in the rest of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit comes and the Christians receive power. I wonder whether you can say the same for your own Christian walk. Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your Christian life? Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, Duncan, yeah, but you're talking about the apostles. They were really important. They received the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, look at what Peter says in Acts 2 at the end of his sermon. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for every person who God calls out to and brings into the family of God. So if you are a Christian believer, the Lord has called to you and you have come and the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. And so that's what we want for you as a church, as elders. We want you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We want you to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, every single one of us. In one sense, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is a unique moment in history. One day where the Holy Spirit is poured out and the world is changed. Do you know, there were 120 Christian believers, weren't they? Weren't there in that book in Acts chapter 1? Just 120 of them. We're close, we're approaching 120 in this room, we're not quite there yet. But we know that there are millions of Christian believers around the world. But it started with just 120. So the world was changed from the day of Pentecost. In one, in one sense, it's a unique moment in history. But in another sense, Pentecost was the fulfillment of a promise to every Christian believer. You can know the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I just want to encourage you not to settle for living boring, powerless Christian life, but to be thirsty for the Holy Spirit and for him to anoint you with power. Now, what is the purpose of this power, according to Acts 1, verse 8? Well, the answer is clear. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Above all, this is why we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, in order that each of us would be bold witnesses of Jesus Christ. And we here in Pharaoh are part of the ends of the earth mentioned in Acts 1 verse 8. That's, that's what they were thinking of. That's what Jesus, when Jesus said the ends of the earth, he was thinking about Pharaoh, Hampshire, uh, the ends of the earth. We only believe in Jesus because men and women in ages past received the power of the Holy Spirit and had the boldness to travel and to go and to share Jesus with others. People came across the English Channel to share the good news of Jesus Christ with us in this country. And that is why we are here today, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the acts of the Holy Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, God's desire for you is for you to know the power of the Holy Spirit, emboldening you to be witnesses of Jesus to friends, family, neighbours, people you bump into and meet briefly on the street, work colleagues. God himself, the Holy Spirit, has been poured out for this mission, that we the church would be witnesses of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to make you a witness to Jesus. And therefore this question I think is extremely challenging to myself and perhaps to you. When was the last time you spoke about Jesus to a non-Christian? When was the last time you were a witness to Jesus Christ? Now, we're witnesses in the things that we do and the way that we act, showing the love and joy and peace and and kindness of Jesus. But we also, witnesses in, in in a court speak, don't they? They say, this is what happened. This is what Jesus has done. This is who Jesus is. And we are to be witnesses like that who speak about Christ. I'm not saying stand up and preach for half an hour or 40 minutes to all your non-Christian friends, but share something of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Sometimes just in snippets of conversation and sometimes a bit longer when they ask you deep and difficult questions. When was the last time you spoke of Jesus to a non-Christian? And the reason I ask that question is because my perception is that this secular society has hemmed us in as Christians. I'm not talking about Christchurch Sharon specifically. I'm talking about the church in general in the UK. I think secularism has hemmed us in and made us fearful, wary and scared. I think we're more aware of our own weaknesses in sharing the gospel with others than the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we're more concerned about embarrassment than the eternal plight of people who we claim to love. And this is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we do live in a society that opposes the gospel. We are going to meet people who don't like it when we share things of Jesus Christ with them. Even though we do it in kindness and wisdom and gentleness and love, they still won't like it. We do live in a society where there is potentially reason to be scared. But we ought not to be scared. 
Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Christ's acts. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through us. And this is why we need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. So we can be witnesses to Jesus to the ends of the earth. In Fareham and Gosport and Stubbington and Hillhead and Hedge End and West End and Shedfield and Parkgate and Loxheath. So we can be witnesses in our workplaces, in our homes, in pubs, in supermarkets. Wherever you are, the Holy Spirit comes to anoint us with power in order that we might witness wherever we go. There's a way of doing church which is called seeker-sensitive church. And you make Sundays all about unbelievers. So you dumb down the sermon a little bit. And you hold back on experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, if someone brings a tongue, you kind of go, shh, you're making it weird. And because you want non-Christians to come into the room and, and understand everything that's going on, and you don't want to upset anyone, that's called seeker-sensitive church. That's not the model of church in the New Testament. And that's not the model of evangelism that we are seeking in Christ's church forum. Now, unbelievers are very, very welcome here on a Sunday. We love to have you. Thank you for being in the room. And we try and always make the good news of Jesus Christ understandable and accessible for you. But when we gather together as the church... Sundays are primarily for Christian believers. We worship together. We learn together. We operate in the spiritual gifts. And boy, do we believe in the anointing and the power of God when we gather together because the Holy Spirit is present with us. And that means our model of evangelism is not that we're just going to wait for non-Christians to walk in off the street and just hear the gospel. That might happen from time to time, and that's fantastic and wonderful. We're not going to, make this, we're not going to dumb this down and make this worse and just wait for someone to come in and then we'll go, oh, this is okay, I might stick around. No, our model of evangelism is going out with the good news of Jesus Christ, being salt and light to the people around us, and knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit has anointed us, each of us, to be witnesses of the gospel, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ wherever we go. If anyone ever asks you, how does your church expect to see people saved in the church, or what's your model for evangelism, your answer ought to be, I think it's me. I think it's the Holy Spirit in me sharing the good news of Jesus with you. That's the mo- that's, I think that's the model we're going for. Duncan doesn't have any fancy, clever plans that's going to change the world, but I think, as I read the book of Acts, the model of evangelism is that the Holy Spirit might use me. So let me ask you, are you hungry for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit? Are you thirsty today for God to empower you, for Christ to do acts through you, for the Holy Spirit to use you for his glory, for God to embolden you to share Jesus with others, to be a witness of Jesus to others? As I draw to a close, I want to invite the band back up to the front and we're going to respond to this message Because I think I'm preaching to three different groups of people here. And I want to ask you to respond. So I I think that there are some people who are unbelievers in this room. You know nothing of the Holy Spirit. 
but perhaps as I've spoken to experience the power of God has appealed to you and you felt something in your heart calling you to know God, to believe in Christ, to repent of sin and to receive the Holy Spirit. Because this is a promise for you. If you, be- if you believe in Christ, if you repent of sin and, re- and believe in Christ, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And so in a moment, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm preaching to Christian believers this morning. And perhaps you're sitting there thinking, I know something of the Holy Spirit. I believe in Christ. And I know I can only believe in Christ because of the Holy Spirit at work within me. But maybe you're unsure if you've known the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Or maybe you felt that your witness to unbelievers is shy and timid and you've shrunk back from sharing the gospel. Or maybe you've known something of the power of the Holy Spirit, but you describe it as being in gear two rather than being in gear five. And you want more. You're desiring for more of the power of the Spirit. I'm going to invite you to respond in a moment as well. And a third group. Maybe you're a Christian and you can sit there confidently and say, I know I've received the Holy Spirit. I know the power of the Holy Spirit in my walk. I know I've had great moments in the past where I've prophesied, where I've prayed in tongues, where I've had powerful encounters and I've boldly witnessed to Christ. And yet to you I want to say this, being anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing. Don't let it be something that happened 10 years ago and that is foreign to you now. In Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out And then in Acts chapter 4, the apostles pray and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them again. And so we take that as a model that we ought to have these moments where we encounter the person of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. Where he comes to us and anoints us with power to make us bold witnesses. So let's stand together and respond to this message.